You're listening to a sermon preached at Chao English Ministry in Sydney. We believe that God speaks through His Word, the Bible. We pray that as you listen, you will hear God's voice and be moved to worship His Son, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Our gracious God and our loving Heavenly Father, as we look now at your amazing and your living Word, we pray that you would grow us in our trust of you and in our trust of your Word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. What a world we live in. What a world. What a world that we live in as we sit here in this room right now. There are 23 active wars happening. I wonder if you knew that. 19 of them are considered war, and four of them are categorized as major wars. Major wars where 10,000 or more die as a result of combat per year. 23 active wars. Living in Sydney, we wouldn't know, right? And of course, we know all about what's happening uh, with the Russian invasion of Ukraine. It's happening as we speak. Uh, That tragic situation is still unfolding. In, In addition to these active wars, there are another 36 smaller conflicts, ranging from all the way from India and Pakistan to Israel and Lebanon, Nigeria, Cameroon. What a world. Friends, this is not a peaceful world. It is not a safe world in which to live, nor is it a just world. Have a listen to these statistics. While people like you and me are very wealthy, over three billion people live on less than $2.50 a day. And it's getting worse. More than 80% of the world's population live in countries where income differentials are widening. What that means is this, 80% of all people in the world live in countries where the rich are getting richer while the poor are getting poorer. That's crazy. According to UNICEF, 22,000 children die each day due to poverty. 22,000 kids die each day due to poverty. What is more, around 27 to 28% of all children in developing countries, so that's more than a quarter, that's nearly a third, nearly a third of children in developing countries are estimated to be underweight or stunted because of lack of food. Nearly a billion people entered the 21st century unable to read and to even write their own name. Less than 1%, less than 1% of what the world spent on weapons every year was needed to put every child into school by the year 2000. Less than 1%. It didn't happen. I'll keep going. Infectious diseases continue to mar the lives of the poor people across the world. An estimated 38 million people are currently living with HIV AIDS, and about a million of them will die this year. Every year, there are around about 350 to 500 million new cases of malaria, again, with about one million people dying each day, each year. 
Uh, 1.4 million children die each year from bad sanitation and drinking water. What a world. What a world. A world of injustice. A world of inequity. A world of war, of conflict and greed. A world that's so ruined by our sin and our selfishness. A world which is so obviously under the judgment of God. The question is this, is that forever? Is that how it's gonna be forever? Will there ever be justice? Will there ever be peace? Will it ever be possible to live in this world in safety? I mean, how could it be possible? Real talk. It's just a pipe dream, right? Surely. Surely it's just a weird fantasy. People aren't going to change. Governments don't change. Each new government is just as impotent as the last one. Nothing can change. All the UN, all the G20 meetings, just talk fest, just talking heads. The idea of a just world, a safe world, a peaceful world, it seems way too good to be true. It seems impossible. So what do we do? Well, we take all that information and we put it in the too hard basket, right? Generally, most people, especially in Sydney, we put all that stuff in the too hard basket. We bury our heads in the sand because there's nothing we can do anyway, right? So we just ignore that and we get on with making our lives as comfortable as possible. We can't make any real difference. Nothing's ever going to change. So we just get real comfortable aspiring after rich people things. As we come into chapter 21 in this book of Jeremiah, we're in a scene right towards the end of Jeremiah's ministry, the year 587 BC. 587 BC, it's towards the end of Jeremiah's ministry. Jeremiah gets a message from the king, from King Zedekiah, the king of Judah. The Babylonian army is attacking Judah, and King Zedekiah sends some messengers to get Jeremiah to ask God what will happen. To get Jeremiah to ask God if he's going to, once again, miraculously save the Jews, save his covenant people, like he's done so many times in history. Look with me in your Bibles at Jeremiah chapter 21, verse 1 and 2. Chapter 21, verse 1 and 2. This puts it into, into context for us. The word came to Jeremiah from the Lord when King Zedekiah sent to him Pasha, son of Malkijah, and the priest Zephaniah, son of Maaseiah. They said, inquire now of the Lord for us because Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, is attacking us. Perhaps the Lord will perform wonders for us as in times past so that he will withdraw from us. These people, they're thinking back to the time of Hezekiah when God miraculously defeated the Assyrians and miraculously rescued Jerusalem. Unfortunately, though, for Zedekiah, Jeremiah has bad news. He says, Nebuchadnezzar is going to win, and you're going to lose. There will be no miracle. There will be no rescue. God is not fighting for you. God is fighting against you. Look with me at verse 3 to 7. Chapter 21, verse 3 to 7. But Jeremiah answered them, tell Zedekiah, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. 
I am about to turn against you the weapons of war that are in your hands, which you are using to fight the king of Babylon and the Babylonians who are outside the wall besieging you. And I will gather them inside this city. I myself will fight against you with an outstretched hand and a mighty arm in furious anger and in great wrath. I will strike down those who live in this city, both man and beast, and they will die of a terrible plague. After that, declares the Lord, I will give Zedekiah, king of Judah, his officials and the people in this city who survived the plague, sword, and famine into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and to the enemies who want to kill them. He will put them to the sword. He will show them no mercy or pity or compassion." That's Jeremiah's message from God. Judah will be defeated. And so God says to the Judeans, the Jewish people, he says, surrender. Surrender to the Babylonians. That's your only chance of survival. Look at verse 8 to 10. Furthermore, tell the people, this is what the Lord says. See, I'm setting before you the way of life and the way of death. Whoever stays in this city will die by the sword, famine, or plague. But whoever goes out and surrenders to the Babylonians who are besieging you will live. They will escape with their lives. I have determined to do this city harm and not good, declares the Lord. It will be given into the hands of the king of Babylon, and he will destroy it with fire. And then God goes on in verse 11 to complain about how Zedekiah has been sinful and unjust. So he says, verse 14, the time for your punishment has come. That's not a happy message, right? It's not a happy message for King Zedekiah. And for King Zedekiah and the Jewish people, it's simply unbelievable. It's unfathomable. They can't believe that this could possibly be true. It's impossible, they think. They cannot believe that their God is against them. They cannot believe that the God who has loved their forefathers, the God who has made all these promises to Jewish people, they cannot believe that that God will not rescue them like he's done time and time and time and time again for the last thousand years. Impossible, they think. Impossible that this could possibly happen. And so at this point, we get a flashback. We get a flashback. We step back in time. Uh, the person who's put this together, the person who's put Jeremiah's prophecies together into this book, uh, he takes us back in time and we hear Jeremiah's messages to the two previous kings, to Jehoiakim and Jehoiachin. Jehoiakim who's from Korea and Jehoiachin who's from Malaysia. I'm just kidding. Um, you guys look so angry, so I've got to crack a joke once in a while. I'm just kidding. They're not Asian. Um, they were kings. Jehoiakim was a dad. Jehoiachin was king after he was the son. Um, both kings. But we get a flashback. We hear how Jeremiah predicted their downfall because of their sin. And the thing is this. As Zedekiah should very well know, history has proved Jeremiah correct. That's important. Zedekiah should listen to Jeremiah because he's got good form on this stuff. What Jeremiah predicts comes true. 
So in chapter 22, we deal with Jehoiakim, Zedekiah's older brother, a couple of kings before Zedekiah, Jehoiachin and his father Jehoiakim. We go back in time to Jehoiakim. God has warned Jehoiakim. God said to him, stop being an unjust king. If you won't stop, you're going to be destroyed. Look with me at chapter 22, verse 1. 22, verse 1 to 5. Uh, Friends, this was Jeremiah's message to Jehoiakim. It's a flashback. This is what the Lord says. Go down to the palace of the king of Judah and proclaim this message there. Hear the word of the Lord to you, king of Judah, Jehoiakim. You who sit on David's throne, you, your officials, and your people who come through these gates. This is what the Lord says. Do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. For if you are careful to carry out these commands, then kings who sit on David's throne will come through the gates of this palace, riding in chariots and on horses, accompanied by the officials and their people. But if you do not obey these commands, declares the Lord, I swear by myself that this palace will become a ruin. That was a choice that was put before King Jehoiakim. Jeremiah goes on to talk about Jehoiakim's dad, Josiah. He says, don't weep for him, he's gone. He talks about Jehoiakim's brother, Shalom. Now the guy who was king before Jehoiakim, the king who was defeated by Egypt, taken into exile into Egypt. He says, do weep for him, Shalom, because he's never coming back. And then God warns Jehoiakim, stop using your throne for your own selfish gain. Stop abusing your position and become a just king. Look at verse 13, chapter 22, verse 13 to 17. Verse 13 to 17. Woe to him who builds his palace by unrighteousness, his upper rooms by injustice, making his own people work for nothing, not paying them for their labor. He says... I will build myself a great palace with spacious upper rooms. So he makes large windows in it, panels it with with cedar and decorates it in red. Does it make you a king to have more and more cedar? Did not your father, Josiah, have food and drink? He did what was right and just, so all went well with him. He defended the cause of the poor and needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me? Declares the Lord. But your eyes and your heart are set only on dishonest gain, on shedding innocent blood, and on oppression and extortion. Jeremiah warned King Jehoiakim, but he wouldn't listen. And so he pronounces God's judgment, and it's very specific. It's very specific. He says, you're going to be killed, and you're not going to be buried. No one is going to mourn for you. Uh, If you're an ancient Israelite and you're a king and no one buries you, that's a very, very big deal. Kings usually get buried. Look with me at chapter 22, verse 18 to 23. Verse 18 to 23. Therefore, this is what the Lord says about Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah. They will not mourn for him. Alas, my brother. Alas, my sister. They will not mourn for him. Alas, my master. Alas, his splendor. He will have the burial of a donkey dragged away and thrown outside the gates of Jerusalem. Go up to Lebanon and cry out. Let your voice be heard in Bashan. Cry out for Abarim, for all your allies are crushed. 
I warned you when you felt secure, but you said, I will not listen. This has been your way from your youth. You have not obeyed me. The wind will drive all your shepherds away and your allies will go into exile. Then you will be ashamed and disgraced because of all your wickedness, you who live in Lebanon, who are nestled in cedar buildings. How you will groan when pangs come upon you, pain like that of a woman in labor. That was Jeremiah's prediction. His allies will be defeated and Jehoiakim will be killed without even a decent burial. And you know what? That's exactly what happened. This all came true. It happened in December of 598 BC. It happened. The Babylonian army, they marched into Jerusalem, and before they even got there, Jehoiakim was killed, assassinated by his own people, cast aside, exactly as Jeremiah had predicted and prophesied. He was mourned by no one, buried nowhere, exactly as Jeremiah prophesied. Jeremiah, he's he's got good form on this. Next section. In the next section, we step forward in time to Jehoiachin. Jehoiachin is the son of Jehoiakim, and Jehoiachin is Zedekiah's nephew. Jeremiah predicted that Jehoiachin would lose the kingship as well. But more than that, he predicted it really specifically, very specifically, lots of details. He said that Jehoiachin would lose the throne and would have no son to take over from him. In other words, he would have no heir to take the throne. None of his sons would follow him as king. Look with me at verse 24. Chapter 22, verse 24 to 30. Verse 24 to 30. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, even if you, Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were a signet ring on my right hand, I would still pull you off. I will deliver you into the hands of those who want to kill you, those you fear, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon and the Babylonians. I will hurl you and the mother who gave you birth into another country where neither of you was born, and there you both will die. You will never come back to the land you long to return to. Is this man Jehoiachin a despised broken pot, an object no one wants? Why will he and his children be hurled out, cast into a land they do not know? A land Land, land, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Record this man as if childless, a man who will not prosper in his lifetime, for none of his offspring will prosper. None will sit on the throne of David or rule anymore in Judah. If you just stop and think about that, right? That is a pretty extraordinary thing to predict. Just stop and think history for a minute. Think history. The line of David, right, by this stage, it had lasted more than 400 years. 400 years. That's a long time. And in that 400 years, there has never been the absence of a son to take over in the throne. And God has promised, if you remember, God has promised that the line of David will rule forever. God has promised there will always be an heir to take the throne. No one would have believed this was possible. But it happened. It all happened. It happened exactly as Jeremiah said. It happened in 597 BC. Babylon defeated Judah. Jehoiachin was taken into exile. And no heir was left for him. And so, for the first time in history, 
the king's uncle was appointed to succeed him. The Babylonians appointed none other than Zedekiah himself, Jehoiachin's uncle, to the throne. Jeremiah's got good form on this, really good form. And so in chapter 23, God has his message for Zedekiah and for the royal family of Judah. He says this, time's up. You've been unjust kings and I'm finished with you. But, says God, and this is where things go really wild, but I'm not finished with Judah. I'm not finished with the line of David. And this is because of the promises that he made to King David. He says, the day is coming when I'm going to do something amazing. The day is coming when I'm going to raise up a good king, a king who will do what is right, a king who will save his people and give them safety, a king who will be called the Lord our righteousness, a king who will be God himself, the righteous Lord. God himself is going to come in the person of this king in the line of David and rule his people and grant them safety and peace. Chapter 23, look with me at chapter 23, verse 1 to 4. Have a look at this prophecy. Chapter 23, verse 1 to 4. So first, the line of David is finished. Woe to the shepherds, that's the kings. Woe to the kings who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them and they will no longer be afraid or terrified nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. God says, that is it. There are no more kings in the line of Zedekiah. It's finished for the line of David. It's done. But, verse 5, look at verse 5. But the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved. This is a name by which he will be called. The Lord, that is Yahweh, God Yahweh, Yahweh, our righteousness. Some translations have our righteous savior. That's another amazing prediction. That's crazy. This prediction is wild. That Zedekiah will be the last king in the line of David. That 400 years of Davidic rule will just stop. But that later, a man from the line of David will rise up and give Israel salvation and safety. A man who will be called God. That's a pretty amazing thing to predict, isn't it? And yet it happened, right? I mean, you and me, uh, of all people, should know that. It happened in the person of Jesus Christ. God the Son, the eternal Word of God, become flesh. It happened in Jesus Christ. 
The line did end with Zedekiah. And then the next king is the risen, eternal Jewish king, Jesus, in the line of David. But we're not finished with Jeremiah's prophecies. Have a look at the next one. Because Jeremiah then predicts that Judah will come out from exile. They will return to their land. Again, historically, this is extraordinary. I mean, lots of nations have been conquered and taken into exile in history. Lots of nations. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, they love conquering people. They love taking people into exile. But the idea that a defeated nation could somehow maintain its racial integrity in exile the idea that a defeated nation could then return back to the land where they were came, came from, that is historically, it's unprecedented. It's unheard of. It's, why, it's never happened before, and it's never happened since. And yet, that's what Jeremiah prophesies will happen. Look at verse 7 and 8. So then... The days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt, but they will say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where he banished them, then they will live in their own land. Like I said, extraordinary prediction, and yet it came true. The only time, the one and only time in history, the Jewish people did maintain their distinctiveness in exile. And then in 539 BC, the Babylonian Empire is conquered, the Babylonian Empire is conquered by the Persian Empire, and the Emperor Cyrus, he allows the Jews to return to Judah. Crazy. The rest of chapter 23, uh, we're not going to look at the rest of chapter 23 in detail uh, because we read that together before, but Jeremiah here speaks out against the false prophets because you've got to remember Jeremiah is alone in saying all this stuff. No one agrees with him. A bunch of prophets, everyone's saying something different. All the other prophets are saying things like, don't worry, you guys are going to be fine. Everything's okay. God loves us. Judah's going to be fine. Just keep on going, king. Everything's going to be good. You're not going to be defeated by Babylon. You're not going to go into exile. God's going to come rescue you. They were wrong. All the prophets, they were all wrong. And God says, chapter 23, they will suffer the consequences. And again, it happened. Exactly as Jeremiah predicted, Babylon defeated Judah. The false prophets were themselves killed or exiled. Jeremiah was right. And they were all wrong, all of them. Okay, so that's our passage for today. It's a pretty amazing passage, wouldn't you say? Jeremiah makes some really, really specific predictions. It all came true. A quick recap, think about this. Jehoiakim will be killed in dishonor and not buried. Jehoiachin will be defeated by Babylon and the kings in the line of David will cease. Judah will go into exile. But then... Judah will return from exile. God will one day raise up a divine, just, good king from the line of David who will bring salvation, peace, justice, and safety for God's people. These are very, very specific predictions to make in advance, way in advance. Specific predictions of things that have never happened before and have never happened since. Predictions that was the total opposite of what all the other prophets were saying. Yet, 
every word came true. Of course, that's why they put Jeremiah's prophecies in the Bible, right? That's what they're doing here in the Bible because they all prove to be true. And that's why none of the other prophets are in the Bible because they were wrong. But I have to say, I read this passage as a person who's always walking on the edge of atheism. And I have to say, it gives me a lot of confidence. Jeremiah's good form here, as I've kind of lightheartedly called it, it shows that there is a God. It proves that there is a God. These are not just guesses. You don't just guess all this stuff and get it right 100%. This is the word of a God who knows the future. This is the word of a God who controls the future. This is the word of a God who ensures that what he says comes true. And the Bible's full of this kind of stuff, right? Prophecies that are fulfilled. It shows us that we are not dealing with an ordinary and a random human book. We are dealing with God's very word, a word that is true and a word on which we can stake our lives. A word that is trustworthy and reliable. Church, this is very, very good news. This is very, very good news when it comes to God's promises to us about Jesus. Don't you reckon? When it comes to God's promises about the future of this world. I mean, uh, just come back with me to chapter 23 and verse 5. Chapter 23, verse 5. It's 600 years before Jesus. 600 years, that's a long time. 600 years before Jesus, we hear him being prophesied, being predicted. Jesus, the righteous king, who will reign wisely, who will do what is just and right, who will save Judah, who will bring Israel to live in righteousness. We're going to hear a lot more about this in Jeremiah, but, and we're going to learn a lot more about this from the New Testament, but we know that this has all come true in the person of Jesus, don't we? And we know that it doesn't only apply to Jews anymore. Now, in the New Testament era, in God's extraordinary grace, he welcomes people from everywhere, from every nation, to join in with the Jewish king and the Jewish people in this safe, united, peaceful, just world. And we know from the New Testament that this promise isn't finished yet. We have a foretaste of it now. We have a foretaste now, a preview as we experience forgiveness and pardon from God in the gospel, but more is promised, way more. More is coming. You and I, we're looking forward to when this world will be transformed into a new heaven and a new earth, where sin and death and injustice and poverty and disease and all wickedness will be finished, where Jesus, our risen eternal king, will reign and where we, his people, will live in peace and safety forever. Those are the great promises that we have today as Christians. And although they might seem hard to believe, when you look at the world around us today, and when you look at his word, I would say that God has pretty good form on this stuff. Wouldn't you? Although it might seem impossible, 
God has a way of keeping his word. Even when things seem impossible, God has shown himself well able to fulfill seemingly impossible promises. We see that here in Jeremiah. Church, we do live in a world full of conflict, full of injustice, and full of sin. And people are not going to fix it. It doesn't matter who you elect as prime minister or president. Governments will not fix this. But we don't need to despair. We don't need to panic. We can live not with our heads in the sand. We can live not thinking that nothing's ever going to change. There's no point in doing anything. No, no. We can live with hope. We can live thinking that it's worth doing our bit. Repenting to the extent that we're involved in making this world unjust and unsafe. We as Christians can be working to be people of justice. People who fight against exploitation. People who pursue peace and equity. People who practice and call for righteousness. We can do that with a profound hope. Jesus will put this world right. Our labor in the Lord is not in vain. We have trustworthy promises from God. God has raised up to David a righteous branch, a king to whom every knee will bow, a king who will bring in this world of perfect justice and righteousness and safety and peace. It's good news really good news. It's news that we can trust. It will come true, just like the rest of Jeremiah's prophecies came true. So we can, we should, we must, as the Bible says, wait with hope. Wait with hope. And while we wait, serve. Serve God diligently. Serve God's mission faithfully. And serve God's people lovingly. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our loving Heavenly Father, we are amazed by the fact that you know the future and that you control the future. And Lord, you've proved that so clearly in the book of Jeremiah as time after time after time you said in advance exactly what would happen. Our Father, we thank you that you have told us in advance what will happen. That Jesus, whom you have raised from the dead, will return and establish a world of righteousness and peace. And Lord, we thank you that you have told us what to do in the meantime. To serve him and to wait for him. We pray, our Father, that you would strengthen our confidence that you would strengthen our trust in your word so that we do serve you, so that we do serve your mission, and so that we do serve your people as we wait for your son's return from heaven. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.